Good morning. Thank you for that long reading. Now, my understanding is that Tom has been taking you through Hebrews, and you've been doing a chapter at a time. Is that correct? Okay. Well, strap in, because there's a lot to go over, and we're not even going to come close. I'm not even going to try. I'm just joking with you, but um, we're going to look at this chapter, and just so you understand, what is going on here in chapter 9 is picking back up with what the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. In 9.1, he's picking back up with 8.6, so keep that in mind. And, and what he says here really runs all the way through chapter 10, verse 18. Um, sometimes it's interesting where they chose to do these chapter breaks. Um, they, did, they didn't do so well on this one, but we're not going to even try to cover that whole thing, but I just wanted to put that into context. Let's pray as we look at and listen to God this morning. Our Heavenly Father, these are your words that you have caused to be written down for us so that we would be able to see and to savor Jesus Christ and the fullness of the new covenant that has been established and is a picture to us of everything that has been accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. And so show us Christ this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you, so, you see the title of the sermon this morning is, There Had to Be a Reformation. There had to be. There was a problem with the worship. The worship did not embody the fullness of the truth. It had part of the truth, but not the fullness of the truth. And the result of this worship was that people were kept at a distance. They would go to church, but there were priests there to make sure that they didn't get too close. And there was a hierarchy within the priesthood. And there was a distance that had to be maintained. Average individual people couldn't come around what was called and considered the holy things because there had to be a distance. The common person was told that they were, because they were sinners, they, they themselves were a contaminant. And so the priests kept the common everyday people away, kept them at a distance. Yes, there were things done on their behalf, but they had to be kept at a distance. And one of the effects of this is that we are told that the people live in fear. 
They lived in uncertainty. What was being done left them unsure. There was a conscience issue. And there was a wrestling with the conscience. Am am I really saved? Am I doing enough? Am I utilizing you know, what, what the church is giving me in, in just the right way so that I can have some hope that what's being pictured in front of me is, is actually true. There had to be a reformation. And the reformation I'm talking about is not the Protestant reformation. Though we'll get there. The Reformation I'm talking about is the Reformation of verse 10. One of the most difficult things that has happened in the church since the first century, since the actual historic um, ministry of Jesus Christ on earth, is the difficulty of understanding the progress of redemption. How does the old and the new relate to each other. What we are told here in Hebrews throughout the whole letter is that there had to be a reformation. That what was instituted in the Old Covenant was good. There is no doubt about it. It was good. But there needed to be something more. There needed to be something better. It goes all the way back to the need of a better covenant, a better covenant mediator, and a better covenant ministry. What was shown in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, was good. It was from God. He wanted it done, and and you had to do it the way he said to do it. But it was temporary. It was not permanent. And the writer of Hebrews tells us something very important here in chapter 9. He says, it could not purify the conscience. It was good, but it was temporary. It was good but it was external. It was good, but it was earthly. What the writer of Hebrews has begun to unfold from the very beginning of chapter 1 is that this need for a better covenant, a better covenant mediator, and a better covenant ministry has all come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the long-awaited-for reality that all the types and the shadows of the Old Testament were always driving towards. They were always pushing us this way. And this had to do with the covenant itself. It had to do with the covenant revelation. It had to do with the voice of the Lord coming through something better than angels. It needed to come through the Son. The covenant mediator needed to be someone better than Moses. He needed to be a son. The the priesthood 
needed to be something better than the priesthood of Aaron. It needed to be better than the priesthood of the Old Covenant because you had sinners striving to represent sinners. It needed to be someone who was sinless representing sinners. And so there's been this unfolding argument until he gets to chapter 8 where he finally really gets to the heart of things. There is a transition. There has been a reformation from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant because there is a better mediator who has performed better ministry. Now the effects of this is what he begins to unfold in chapter 9. Christ is the better covenant mediator who has established the better covenant. He has inherited a better ministry. So when we look at chapter 9, notice that in the first six verses, what he does is the writer starts unfolding the old covenant ministry. And there were two things that were very important. There was the importance of the worship space and the worship service. And the worship space was designed in such a way that um, the worshiper who would come to the tabernacle to bring his sacrifice, he could not go any further than the bronze altar that was at the very beginning of the tabernacle. Now, if you have like an ESV study Bible, or if later you want to access the ESV study Bible online, which is free, they have really good pictures of what the tabernacle looked like. And if you're not familiar with it in your head, I would look at those so that you can be that you can be reminded of the way that it was structured. But what would happen is you would come and you would walk through the opening and you could not go very far before there was this bronze altar imposing itself in front of you. And it was so big that most likely the average individual couldn't see anything past the bronze altar. That when they walked into the tent, to the tabernacle, they never even saw the stuff that was behind. All they could see was the bronze altar and the priests who were there cutting the animals' throats, draining the blood, the smoke that was constantly pouring off of the altar. It was gross. Now, it would have been confusing, I think, because it would have kind of smelled like a perpetual barbecue, but it wouldn't have looked like a barbecue you want to participate in. But you could smell. You could hear the animals, especially their cries, right? When their throats would be slit. You could see the blood. You could smell the blood. You could see the smoke. You couldn't see anything past. Now, this is a good thing. This is a blessing from God. They've been redeemed from bondage and slavery in Egypt, and God has made them His people, and God has taken up residence with His people, but there is a problem, and they can only come so close. The priesthood in the Old Testament one of its primary purposes, or the Levites specifically, their primary purpose was to keep people at a safe distance. And if they got too close, the command was the person was to be killed. So the Levites there were to protect God, 
from the contamination of the people. They were there to protect the people from the holiness of God. Now, this is good that God has taken up residence, but there's a problem. The people have to be kept at a distance. And so, you would not go past the bronze altar. But structurally, there was something beyond it. There was a laver that, that was filled with water. And that was where the, the priests would wash their hands because of all the gunk from all the sacrificing going on. Beyond that, there was another tent. But the doorway was kept closed. And the only people who could go in there were priests. And when you went in there, there was a table that had a lampstand on it. Uh, it was one of those six-branched lampstands that had a center point so that it was seven lights. And on the other side was a table with 12 loaves of showbread, one for each tribe. The only light in that space was the light from the candle. If you went past there, there was another doorway. And then you went into what was called the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the only person who could go in there was the high priest, and he could only go once a year. And he had to go with blood. And he had to go with blood for himself. And he then got to bring in blood for the people. Now, if you notice here, from beginning to end, there's a problem. God is there. But the holiness of God and the sinfulness of his people are creating a problem. And the problem is distance. The problem is separation. The problem is that the average individual can only go to the bronze altar. A select number can go into that next space, but only one can go all the way in. Is this what God designed? Is this what God wanted? When God created Adam and Eve, where Adam was the first priest, that we see in the Bible, who had the same two commands that the priesthood and the Old Covenant had, to guard and to keep God's garden sanctuary. Was God originally creating in order to keep people at a distance and to maintain a separation? No, there was no need for that. Because man and woman were created in righteousness. Now, what's interesting is that even though they were created in righteousness, they still needed a, a there, there still had to be a mediator. There still had to be a priest. Mediation and priesthood are not the result of sin. Mediation and priesthood are the result of the way God designs his relationship with his people. From the very beginning, Created man and woman needed mediation. Adam was that mediator. Adam failed as the mediator. Adam was that first priest. He failed as that first priest. What resulted because of that failure and the introduction of sin is that mediation and priesthood had to now do additional things than what it needed to do from the very beginning. And so from the very start, in the worship, through the tabernacle, in the, it, what you have there, in the worship that was taking place, it was the embodiment 
of the substance of the Old Covenant. Worship, good biblical worship, is always the embodiment and the expression of the realities of the covenant. And the old covenant was temporary. It was earthly. It required distance, separation. It could not clear the conscience. And so the way that worship unfolded was an expression of the substance of that covenant. It was good, but there needed to be something better. There needed to be something that could come and make the realities of God's relationship with his people permanent, eternal, heavenly, clear of any sin, both externally and internally. And the writer of Hebrews tells us this is what has come in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God bridging the gap by God coming near by taking on flesh. He has come near to us. He's not drawing, he, he, he's not you know, sitting there saying, okay, here are the things for you to do to come to me. He is saying, I am coming to you. And he has come in the flesh. And he has spoken the realities of the new covenant through the mouth of Jesus Christ, who is the God-man. So that the, the word of God to his people is not being mediated by a sinner like it was mediated through Moses. It's mediated through God himself. And so a new covenant has been ratified. To put it another way, the old covenant has been fulfilled. It has done its role. It no longer is the way that God is mediating his relationship with his people. Historically, For the people living at the time in which Hebrews was originally written, this is the problem that exists for them. They don't understand the reformation that has taken place from Old Covenant to New Covenant. They don't understand the reformation that has taken place in the New Covenant worship. If if there's a New Covenant which means there's new covenant revelation and new covenant mediation and new covenant reality, substance, then there has to be new covenant worship. Because worship does what? It always embodies and expresses the realities of the covenant. And so there had to be something new that would come. The struggle was... Well, how did that first generation who grew up Jewish, who grew up worshiping God by going to the temple and going through the sacrifices and going through the priesthood, what does it mean for them now? Especially 
when there's a clue here in Hebrews 9 that the temple, Solomon's temple, is still in existence right now. It hasn't been torn down yet. And so there's an actual temple that the people of God still see, and they still see the smoke rising, and they still smell the smoke, and they can go there, and they can still be confronted with the bronze altar, and they can still see the blood being shed, and they can hear and smell the animals, and they can see the priesthood doing its work, and they still cannot go past the bronze altar. Are you starting to see the problem here? There's a reason that it was difficult for them to transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, when you look at Old Covenant worship, what you have to understand is it served a purpose, and that purpose is over. Because everything that was being pictured in that worship has become embodied and expressed in and through Jesus Christ. This is not saying that the Old Covenant has been um, replaced because it was bad. You'll sometimes hear people discuss Reformed theology and say, and discuss the problem of replacement theology. The writer of Hebrews doesn't say anything's replaced. It says it's reformed. Verse 10, very specifically, until the time of Reformation. Worship in the history of the church, as it is an embodiment and expression of the realities of the covenant, it went through a reformation. The covenant went through a reformation. Covenant mediator went through a reformation. Covenant mediation and ministry went through a reformation. And through the ministry of Jesus Christ, the earthly types and shadows have been fulfilled and therefore they are no longer necessary. Now this can be very difficult if we're trying to think about how do I understand redemptive historical typology, right? We can can put big fancy words to all this. Let me make it simple. When you drive from here to Columbia, South Carolina, every so often you will see a green sign on the right side of the road that says Columbia, and this says a certain number of miles, right? And as you get closer, what happens? The number shrinks. Well, when you get to Columbia, there might be, I think there is, I looked at this one time, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But there's a sign that says, welcome to Columbia, right? All right, well, if you stay on 26 and, and keep going towards Spartanburg, guess what you will not see on the right-hand side of the road? You will no longer see a green sign that says, Columbia, this many miles. Why? Because you already got to Columbia. You don't need any more signs directing you to Columbia. You're there. 
So it's not that the signs are now wrong. You just don't need a sign. What you need to do is look around you. This is Columbia. What the writer of Hebrews is telling us is as we are relating to God now in the new covenant, we need to look around us. And by faith, we need to embrace the greater realities that have come because of the ministry of Jesus Christ. You don't need to go to a tent where there's a bronze altar that's getting in the way of you seeing what's past, let alone you, be able, you being able to walk past. Because what Jesus Christ has done is He has taken His sacrifice, His blood, and as the better priest, the better mediator, with the better sacrifice and the better blood, He has applied it to a better altar. This is why Jesus had to not only rise from the dead, but He had to ascend back to heaven because His work wasn't done yet. He had to take His work and present it before the Father in the heavenly tabernacle. Now, if your mind's not blown by that, then I'm not doing a good job. What we tend to do as American Reformed Evangelicals is we tend to come to worship, and for you, you see basketball goals. And you see elementary school level whatever this is, right? And the art on the back, and, right? This is what you see. It smells like a gym, right? Nothing wrong with that. It is a gym. But you come in and you are immediately challenged in what you see and smell here because we no longer go to a tabernacle that was made by hands. We are ascending into a tabernacle that was not made by by hands that was made by God Himself. There is, every time the heavenly places are described, it is described as a temple. It is described as a worship space. And what we are told is that the worship space that we saw on earth in the tabernacle and then in the different temples, those were copies. And they were based on something. And that's why God is the one that had to give the instructions for, here's how to make it. Because God is the one who sees the true tabernacle, the true temple. And so he had to communicate, this is what I want you to build. This is what I want you to do. Because this is a picture of where I dwell in the heavenly places. With the cherubim and the seraphim there. Constantly crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. 
where we are told that the elders, the 24 elders, are there surrounding the throne and they are worshiping and they are bowing down. Later today, read Revelation chapter 4, read Revelation chapter 5, and you can see the worship service that's unfolding in the heavenly places. We are told in Revelation 20 and 21, by the way, that when the new heavens and the new earth, when they are revealed at the very end, that is described as a temple. But it's not, but it says very specifically, I didn't see a temple because God dwelling with his people is the temple. And the question is are the people who are dwelling with God before his heavenly throne of grace? in the heavenly temple, are they described there as being kept at a distance? Are they described as being related to the realities by separation, by fear, by uncertainty? Are they described as having consciences that are at anguish within them because they don't really know where they stand with the Lord? No. They are described in the sure confidence of being received as totally 100% righteous as enjoying God's unmediated glory. Where they live in the realities of the beatific vision and where they are not overcome by it, but they have been made and facilitated to live there. Jesus had to go into the heavenly places to present His offering there and to consecrate the new heavens and the new earth through the superior ministry of His blood. So that sinners could not simply be acknowledged as righteous, but so that the new heavens and the new earth could receive sinners who have been made righteous. The worship space needed consecrated just like the worshipers needed consecration. And beloved, you and I have been fully 100% consecrated in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And He has gone to prepare a place for us. Part of that preparation was consecrating it in order for us to dwell there. And the wall of separation has been broken down. So that in the ministry of the new covenant, it is not to be marked by fear. It is to be marked by confidence. Look at chapter 10. I don't don't want to rob you of chapter 10. Where the ministry of the old covenant was marked by uncertainty, the ministry of the new covenant is marked by confidence. And where the worship in which you are participating is not earthly, it is heavenly. Read Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to leave that one for you as well. Where the temporary has given way to the eternal. Where the external has given way to external and and internal. And where there was a constant sacrifice there has been a once-for-all sacrifice that the Father has received forever 
and in which you and I simply by faith receive it and stand in the blessings of the new covenant accomplished by Jesus Christ. The reason there had to be a reformation was not simply because of the transition from the fulfillment of the old covenant into the new covenant, but because the church would constantly throughout history struggle with trying to reincorporate the old covenant. That's what the writer of Hebrews is wrestling with, are people who are giving into the pressure that they have because they are followers of the way. They're followers of Jesus Christ, and they're getting um, persecuted by the Jews, and they're getting persecuted by the Romans. And so some have become tempted. Well, we can mitigate the persecution if we you know, reconnect ourselves with the Jews because the Jews, they received protection from the Romans until 70 A.D. when there was a rebellion. And when the Romans destroyed the Old Covenant Temple, knocking it down block by block by block. Historically, there has always been a struggle of wanting to return to the Old Covenant shadows because the reality of of the New Covenant is something that we do not necessarily get to touch and smell and see and feel like the Old Covenant. And so there had to be a reformation. When we think about Reformation Day, Reformation Sunday, and we talk about that other Reformation, the smaller Reformation, that was more than likely instigated through Luther, even though I think it was April of 1518, not October 31st, 1517, but we can discuss that another time. There needed to be a reformation. There had to be a reformation. Because what you see embodied in the life and testimony of Martin Luther himself was that the worship of the Roman Catholic Church it had returned to the types and shadows of the old covenant and it was leaving out the realities of the new covenant. And where Jesus has broken down forever the separation and distance between God and man by Jesus bringing not only his sacrifice but bringing us with him into the heavenly holy of holies, the Roman Catholic Church started saying, no, 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 you guys cannot get too close. And in many churches, there was an actual screen. And oh my goodness, if you were a woman, it was even worse. I think you had like two screens. But there was very purposeful, a separation that was maintained. And the people lived in fear. And their consciences were never clear. They were never okay with themselves. And what we see in the life of Luther is the result of that worship. Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I confessed enough sin to the point that his confessor said, Martin, give me a break. But Luther understood that if righteousness 
was contingent on the work of Jesus plus the righteousness of the saints who had gone before, plus the righteousness of Mary, plus the participation of what I bring to the, to the equation, he understood, I can never really know. And so he could not live in the assurance of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And he did not live as one who in his union with Christ was dwelling in the heavenly places as one who had been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2. And he lived in the fear and trepidation trepidation of God rather than living as a son or as a daughter who had been fully received, who had been fully accepted, who had been fully adopted into God's family and given all the rights and privileges of being a child of God. There had to be a reformation because the new covenant realities of the once for all finished permanent eternal work of Jesus Christ had become confused in the church. And the Jesus that they were presenting was a Jesus who had only done some of the work. Was a Jesus who was saying, you need to participate in accomplishing what I haven't done. What they were being presented with was the mediation and the mediator and the ministry of something that was never meant to be the final and permanent way that God would relate to his people. And so when we look at the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, although we tend to focus on the doctrine like sola scriptura, the scripture alone as our sole authority for faith and practice, sola gratia, by grace alone can we receive salvation, sola fide, by faith alone do we receive and rest on Jesus Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel. Solus Christus, it is Christ alone who has done everything that we need as our covenant mediator and the covenant, and the covenant mediation and ministry of his priesthood. And that's soli deo gloria, that in receiving and in interacting with God through Christ, through grace and faith, according to the word of God, we participate in glorifying God and enjoying him forevermore. And we tend to focus on those things. But the reality is this. It wasn't simply doctrine that changed, but because doctrine did change, the worship had to change as well. And so just as there had to be a reformation of worship from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, there had to be a reformation of worship from the Roman Catholic Church and to the Protestant faith. Because, beloved, worship, it always embodies and expresses the realities of the New Covenant. That Jesus Christ has once for all accomplished everything that you need. And Jesus Christ, once for all, has offered it to the Father, and there is no more need to sacrifice Jesus week after week after week like you will see if you go to a Roman Catholic church today. Where they approach worship through separation, through distance, 
where only the priest has certain access and where the priest is offering something to God over and over and over on your behalf. Beloved, what we are about to see in the Lord's Supper is not that the new covenant has done away with the realities of the new covenant that can be seen and touched and handled and tasted and smelled. What we are going to see is that when we engage in this meal, we are not offering something to God. God is offering himself to us. The once-for-all sacrifice of Christ has been done and it has been accepted and now God gets to fully bridge the distance and the fear within your conscience by coming to you in the fullness of his son and because he knows that we struggle with sin and therefore we struggle with confidence he gives us his son where we can touch him and where we can taste and handle and smell him to reassure us that Christ has forever reformed the covenant, reformed the covenant mediation, and he has forever reformed covenant worship. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is amazing to us that you give us such blessings as your Son that you give us this perfect sacrifice, and you give us your satisfaction and acceptance as a father. And not because we are adding something, not because something got left out, not because we need those earthly types and shadows, but because in the heavenly places, everything has been once for all accomplished. And so, Lord, give us a faith that has eyes that can see that we worship in the heavenly places this morning, that gives us ears to hear the heavenly word of our, of our heavenly covenant mediator, that give us hands that can touch the heavenly bread that comes to us in Jesus Christ, mouths that can taste the sweetness of the heavenly blood that has provided everything that was needed for your word to be made sure to us and for our redemption to be accomplished, not simply by being freed from bondage and slavery in Egypt, but being freed from bondage and slavery to sin. And so, Lord, wash our consciences afresh today so that in the deepest recesses of our hearts, we would know your love and we would respond in loving you and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We pray and ask this through the perfect mediation and ministry of our heavenly high priest, Jesus the Christ. Amen.